Hey, I am so glad you're watching. Did you know that this week, thousands of people will join you in watching our message online? In fact, more people watch our messages online like you are than in our building. We're so glad that you're part of our movement. And in this series, we wanna invite you to really step into the movement. You can do that today by texting the word COMMIT to the number 317-350-1996. That gives you a chance to step deeper into the heart of our movement. I wanna encourage you to commit today, and even more, I wanna encourage you keep watching. We think of you as part of our movement, and part of what this vision's all about is you having an opportunity to join us digitally, not only in watching, but actually in speaking and engaging and being part of our movement. Thanks for watching today. Let's celebrate what God is doing. Real lives are being transformed. Real marriages are being restored. Real young people are growing up. And at a time when suicide rates are increasing and addiction rates are increasing, young people here in this movement are growing up and living lives of freedom and purpose. And church, you look beautiful today. God is using you. He's using you in the supernatural realm. He's using you in the lives of real people. And did you know, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, God desires this for you. He desires that you would know that the because of you applies to you. He wants you to live a life of purpose, a life of significance that helps other people where you experience joy and fulfillment and being part of something bigger than yourself and being part of something that's good in a world where there's so much that's bad and broken and being part of, in this church, really a historic movement of God. God desires for you to live a because of you life. And I wonder, do you know or how can you know that those because of you's actually apply to you? I mean, everyone who's giving here, everyone who's serving here, everyone who's praying, those because of you's apply to you. But how can we, as we keep moving forward, and as we hear stories because of this greater things vision that we're stepping out into, and there will be more and more young people who follow Christ because of this church, will you know that the because of you is truly because of you? When you drive by this church and you see this big facility, will you know that, you know, because of me, that mortgage is being paid down and my church is free and clear because of me, because I'm part of it. As we hear these stories of God reaching people all across the United States, seven to 15,000 people per week watching us online, and as we hear more and more of their stories of lives meeting Christ and transforming, will you know that truly it's because of you that you're part of it? Well, that's the question we're asking today. How can you experience the joy of seeing God change people through you? How can you experience the joy of seeing God change people through you? And as always, we're going to answer this question from the Word of God. And we're going to look today at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a place where a leader, Paul the Apostle, is writing to a church a lot like ours, named the church in Corinth. Now, this was 2,000 years ago, so it was a different culture. But it was the exact same thing of a diverse group of Jesus followers saying, we want to experience his power in our lives, and we want to be part of his movement in our lifetimes. And this church had decided that they were going to make a generosity gift to another church, the church in Jerusalem, which was in great financial need. And it's in that context that God's word tells us this, starting in verse 13. 
God says, as a result of your ministry, they, these believers, will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news, or sometimes we call it the gospel, of Christ. Verse 11 of the same chapter says this, Yes, as you give these gifts to these other believers, investing in them, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Now here's God's answer to our question, how can you live a because of you life? And the answer according to 2 Corinthians 9 is this, when I give generously, giving not to try to buy God's favor, not giving out of shame or guilt or obligation, but I know my salvation, the forgiveness of my sins, I receive that as a free gift when I place my faith in Christ. Now as I'm following him, I'm following his example of a life of generosity. And when I give generously to God's work from a heart of love, it enriches my life in every way. That's what 2 Corinthians 9 said. And we'll study the text a little more, but I want to share a story from my life of how God has allowed me to experience this. If you've been with us in this four-part series, I shared early on about a couple when I first left my journalism career and I was a young pastor in Arizona and there was this older couple in my church and they said, John, you need to start teaching what the Bible says about our finances and about giving. And I said, uh, I don't know, that's kind of icky and awkward and weird. I don't want to go there. And they said, John, it's not about you and it's not even about the church's finances. It's about every person in our church's spiritual journey. And they shared with me how when they became followers of Jesus, and they then were taught, here's what God's word says about our treasures and how our treasures connect to our heart. And when we put our treasures in the kingdom of God, our heart follows. They described to me how it had set their lives free. Harv was his name, the husband. He was an Air Force base commander. And so this couple, they had lived all around the world at different Air Force bases that he'd been in charge of. And they described to me all these different churches that they had gotten to be a part of. And how they had seen God use their generosity not only to change lives, but to change their lives. And they started to explain to me these basic principles of when you give God your first, then he blesses the rest. And he blesses you in ways that money can't buy. And so as I taught this to our little church in Arizona, I was learning it. And my wife and I, we started to grow to where that became the first check we would write every month. And on our Excel spreadsheet of our family budget, that was the first item, even if it wasn't the biggest when it started, the biggest output, it was the first one because we said, we're going to give God our first and best. And we started to experience this, that when we prioritize God in our finances, it blesses us in every way. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to win the lottery tomorrow, okay? But it does mean that God gives you things money can't buy. And here's a real example of that in my life. As I started to prioritize God in my finances, it started to open my heart, where my heart was selfish and greedy. Now, I know none of you are ever selfish or greedy. I know none of you ever want to just hoard and hang on to everything you have, but that's something that I struggle with, so bear with me, okay? And as I started to prioritize God with the local church, he started to open up my heart, and he started to transform me. And I'll tell you just one of the ways that that changed me. My wife, for a number of years, had been saying, John, I think we're supposed to adopt a child. And I think we're supposed to adopt from a really impoverished country. 
And uh, I said, because my heart was selfish, no. Nope, 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 nope. You have any idea how much that costs? You have any idea what impact it might have on our two biological kids? It's a lifelong decision. We have no idea what we're getting into. Could be a total nightmare. Selfish heart. Now, not everyone in the world is called to adopt, okay? But in our case, we were, and I was resisting it. But what happened is, when I started my generosity journey of giving God the first and best to the local church we were part of, he started to open my heart, and where, gener- where selfishness had closed my heart up, he started to open and give me a generous heart. And a day came when my wife said, John, will you at least pray about us adopting? And I said, okay, I'll at least pray about it. So I literally, my prayer was kind of like this. I was at a coffee shop. I opened my Bible. I read my chapter for the day. I kind of prayed and said, God, you know I'm really busy with work. We're busy with our own two kids. I think you've given me a lot, enough in life. I don't think you're going to call us to do this. But if you do, make it super obvious and I'll surrender. <laughs> that, that was pretty much the deal, right? That's where my heart was. But, but, I, but I was, as callous as I was, I was sincere of saying, you know, if you make it clear, we'll do it, okay? So I pray that prayer. I get in my old Toyota Land Cruiser and I'm driving to my office. And as I'm driving, I see this old guy walking on the sidewalk with a walker, and he hits a crack in the sidewalk, and he stumbles and he falls. And I kid you not, this is how busy and self-centered I was. For about five seconds, I kept driving. And then the Holy Spirit of God was like, are you kidding me, John? Are you kidding me? So I stopped the car, I go back, help this guy up. He's skinned up a little, but he's going to be okay. A little blood on his knees and elbows. I get him in the passenger seat of my truck. I put his walker in the back seat, and I drive him to the retirement assisted living home where he lives. Get him there, and there's a nurse at the reception area, and he gets inside. And as I'm going back out to my truck to get his walker, I heard almost audibly, John, whenever I make you strong, it's so you can help the weak. And whenever I give you resources, it's so you can help those who don't have resources. And in that moment, the dots connected, and I realized, you know what? Not every family in the world is called to adopt or adopt internationally, but in our case, we've already got a diaper genie. We've already got a Costco supply of diapers. We've already got the car seats in the cars. We're already sleep-deprived anyway from our own two biological kids. And as you know what, we have the capacity. We can't help all the millions of orphans in the world, but we could take one, and we have that capacity. And you know what? That choice ended up being the most enriching thing that has happened in my life. You know, here's a picture of my daughter, Evie, today. We started adopting her. Jeez, um, I'm crying now. Okay. We started adopting her a couple months after that story I told you. She was a week old when we started. We brought her home when she was two and a half. She'll turn five this summer. Here's the thing. We're going to look at a passage that says, when you give generously to God's work, it enriches your life in every way. Now, some people misinterpret that to say, if you give to God's work, you'll win the lottery. It doesn't mean you'll win the Powerball, but I will tell you this. I won the lottery. I won the lottery. And it didn't happen because I'm some great noble person. It happened because I I did what God's word says to do with my treasure. And it cracked open my heart in a way that I never could have. And as I continue to follow Jesus and give my life to him, 
it continually opens my heart and it enriches my life in every way. And, and this is what I want for you. This vision series, Greater Things, yes, it's about raising the strongest generation. Yes, it's about reaching people through digital technology. Yes, it's about paying down the mortgage on this building. But you know what it's really about? It's really about your heart and you having a generosity journey with God, like the one that I'm on and I'm still on. And you just starting, maybe it's your first step in your generosity journey, or maybe it's a next step in your generosity journey. But let's look at what God's word says for all of us who are praying about, okay, God, what will you have me do in this two-year commitment? Second Corinthians 9 says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously we'll get a generous crop, right? When it's planting season, if there's a farmer and he's got a whole bunch of seeds, but he's like, eh, I'm gonna be conservative. I'm gonna kind of hoard 90% of my seeds, but I'll just plant a few seeds. Well, he's gonna get a very small harvest. But if a farmer says, hey, I might as well plant them all, then they're gonna get a very generous crop. And then God says this, in the context of believers like you and me deciding what amount am I called to give to reach these other people, God says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. It's a, it's a between you and God worship to say, God, you know how many seeds you've given me. What are you calling me to give? And look at this. It says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. You know, throughout history, there have been some very corrupt churches that say, hey, you know, pay us enough money and your relatives will get out of hell. That is not how it works, Okay. You know, that is not how it works. You don't give money to try to buy God's favor. You don't, but, but you do, after you've received the free gift of salvation, realize now God has called us to follow Jesus in living a life that lays down our own rights and sacrificially gives for others, and that's where joy and purpose and freedom are found. So don't give reluctantly or out of human pressure or obligation. God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? And God brought some of you here today because you've been being prompted by the Spirit of God in this Greater Things series, and, and you're thinking about stepping out, but there's fear, isn't there? If you're like me, there's fear of like, well, will I really, will I be taken care of if I seek first God and his kingdom? And if that's where you are, if you've been wrestling with that, you need to take this and write this down as a promise. This is the word of God. This is a promise to you. This is not a promise that just applies to all Christians. This is a promise that applies to Christians who step out to invest financially in God's work. That's the context of 2 Corinthians 9. It says, when you do that, you've made a gift from the heart to God, sacrificially, he will provide all you need. That verse is actually one of three places. I'm just going to kind of ad lib here, but you should know this. It's one of three places in Scripture that God makes that promise. And if you're taking notes or if that's an area where you're like, man, if I prioritize God, are my needs going to be met? You might write down these other references. Matthew 6, verse 33 says this. It says that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his work, then all these things will be added to you. Now, in that context, it's Jesus talking, and he literally says, uh, don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about the food that you'll eat. Instead, seek first my kingdom. And then all these things, what's that? That's your clothes and the food that you'll eat will be added to you. If you prioritize God, he will meet your needs. It doesn't mean he'll give you everything you want, 
but he'll meet your needs and he'll actually give you things that you needed that you didn't even want, if that makes sense. Like maybe a daughter who loves you unconditionally and is the most amazing person in the world. Another passage that says this is Philippians 4, verse 19. It says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus. What are these three passages, 2 Corinthians 9, Matthew 6, 33, Philippians 4, 19, what do all three of them have in common? They're all in the context of believers saying, I'll prioritize God with my earthly treasure and then I'll trust him to meet my needs. And God does promise you, when you do that from the heart, he will meet your needs. And the passage continues and it says, then you'll always have everything you need and you'll have plenty left over to share with others. I remember when my wife and I started that international adoption journey, we looked at the total price tag of what an international adoption costs after all the different home studies and international fees. And we thought, we don't have that amount of money in the bank. But guess what? As we just were faithful to God and many of God's people helped us, we ended up being able to not only have everything we needed, but to very significantly change the life of someone who was born in the poorest country in the western hemisphere and plenty left over she's living a great life scripture says this verse 9 says they share freely and give generously to the poor their good deeds will be remembered forever now you might remember these words from last week because last week we studied psalm 112 which was written about a thousand years before second corinthians 9 but here Paul the Apostle is quoting the same passage we studied last week. And you might remember the big idea of that passage was this. A generous generation leads to a blessed and godly generation. And the passage continues and it says this in verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. And God, in this metaphor, God's saying our money is the seeds. And here's what God knows. When he looks down and he sees all of us, he sees the amount of seeds he's given to each of us. And he doesn't expect you to do what your neighbor needs to do. It's only about you and the amount of seeds that God has given to you. Now, here's the thing. Think about the magic of this, that we plant a physical seed in the ground, and then we add water and sunlight, healthy soil, and that seed becomes a fruit that people can eat. So God provides the seeds, but he's also the one who brings the fruit from it or the bread. I was thinking about this this last week. You know, God created this machine that we call a plant. And with all the technology that we have in the world, all the engineers at Facebook and Google and Apple, they have not yet designed a seed that you can put in the ground and just add water and soil and sunlight and it turns into food. God made that. God makes machines like that. Guess what? God made another machine called your stomach. Some of us have a big machine, okay? But anyhow, God gave us, he gave us this machine that can take that food and it can turn that, that food into energy and words and offspring and action and ideas. That's another machine. And guess what? There's a machine called the church. And when you add in the people of God and faith and the resources of God's people, that machine makes disciples. It makes changed lives. It makes because of you stories that are moving and that are true and that change families and change people for eternity. 
So in the same way that God provides seeds and bread for us to eat, he will provide and increase your resources for those who prioritize his kingdom. And then he'll produce a great harvest of generosity. And that's what my generosity journey with God has been. I've not arrived, but every time I step out and do a little bit more, he opens my heart a little bit more, and I receive and experience things that truly money cannot buy. You know, Jesus once told a parable story about these managers and the owner of the business. He gives each of them a different amount of money to invest, and he leaves, and he says, when I come back, I'll see what did you do with the talents or the resources that I gave you. And it's in that parable that Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so God knows the amount of seeds that each one of us have been entrusted with. And the point of the parable is someday he will return for us or he'll call us home to heaven. And he'll say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the years of life, with the talents and with the financial resources I've given you. Well, in this context of giving to other believers, verse 11 says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And as I described that, enriched doesn't necessarily mean you'll win the Indiana lottery, but you'll win the lottery in life, like I have with my daughter Evie, when you just prioritize God and his work in your life. There's so many passages in scripture that speak about how our finances are attached to our heart, whether we like it or not. One of them is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and this won't be on the screen, but you can jot some of it down if you want. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, it says this, whoever loves money never has enough money. Money in and of itself is not good or bad. There's nothing wrong with having money or having nice things. But if you love money, that is you look to money to be the provider for all your needs instead of looking to God, then you'll never have enough. A very interesting, Ecclesiastes is one of the oldest books in the Bible. But guess what? There was a study commissioned in the year 2011 by Bill and Melinda Gates, one of the richest couples in the world today. And they hired a researcher to interview families who have a net worth of $25 million or more. And they said, we want to understand what's life like for these families. You know, what are their joys? What are their struggles? What is average life like for someone who's worth $25 million or more? Guess what the number one thing is that that researcher found? And you can look this study up from 2011. Every one of those families felt like they don't have enough. At 25 million or more. I know it seems crazy to some of us, but it's exactly what Ecclesiastes 5.10 says. If you love money, you never have enough money. But the word of God says, if you love God and look to him to be your provider, you'll always have your needs met and you'll actually feel like I have enough. In Ecclesiastes 5, nine verses later, after it says whoever loves money never has enough, it gives us this principle that God can give to you or he can take away from you the ability to enjoy what you already have. Let me say it again, because this was profound for me in my generosity journey with God. He can give you or take away from you the ability to enjoy what you already have. Here's an example. Uh, there, there's a blue-collar worker, hourly job, doesn't make a ton of money, lives in a very humble small home, drives an old rusty pickup, has a faithful spouse who's been with him for years and years, and God gives to him the ability to enjoy what he has. 
So every morning when he wakes up in his little modest kitchen, he's like, I love this kitchen. I love that picture there. He gets in his old truck and he's like, I love this truck. That's how I feel about my Land Cruiser that has 290,000 miles on it. I don't, I, it, I'm not like more spiritual because my car has a bunch of miles. I just love that car. I don't want a different one. I enjoy it. I literally, every time I wash it or I go out to him, I'm just like, I love this truck. I've driven a lot of new ones as a journalist when I used to do an auto review. That's fun, but I love my truck. Anyhow, point is, God can give you the ability to enjoy what you have. Now, in Ecclesiastes 5, then it describes another person who lives in a, a very big house and has everything the person wants. And by the way, nothing wrong with those things, okay? But this person, God, withholds from them the ability to enjoy what they have. And I've met people like this. They've got the lake house, but they're always nervous, right? They've got the house on the ocean, but they're worried about the hurricane. The insurance is so much. Is someone going to break in? And they have it, but they don't have the ability to enjoy it. And ironically, there's people who show up and rent it and enjoy it a lot more. Now, and I, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying it's wrong to have any of those things, okay? There's many people in the kingdom of God who have some of those things and people wrongly judge them. People don't realize how much some of those people are giving. But the point of the story is this. God is the one who gives you the ability to enjoy what you have or can take it away. So seek God who will give you the ability to enjoy what you have instead of seeking the joy in the things themselves. Does that make sense? Anyhow, I'm on a tangent here, but the point is this. When it says you will be enriched in every way, I'm trying to tell you that in every way is a lot bigger than we might think. In every way means you live every day knowing my needs are met, I enjoy my life, I'm enriched with relationships, I'm enriched with purpose, and I've sought first the kingdom of God and all these things have been added unto me. And then the verse says this, when we take your gifts to those other believers who need them, they will thank God. Uh, I'll show you a picture of Daryl Skaggs. Some of you know Daryl. He's part of our church family here. And I want to read you guys a letter from Daryl that he wrote me this last week, and it has to do with our investment in digital and how we're able to reach people through technology as well as encourage existing believers. Here's what Daryl writes. He says, John, I want you to know that the live stream is really great. Yesterday was the first time I listened from home, and it wasn't like being there, but I really enjoyed it. It was interesting that people were writing in where they were from. I was home trying to get my pain under control. In 2010, I was one of the, quote, lucky men who get breast cancer. God was in control of that. And good things happened because of that awful disease. Well, after a bone biopsy several days ago, my oncologist let me know Friday that my cancer's back. Stage four this time and in my bones. God is in control of this, and my family will get through it. Then Daryl says this. He says, I hope the live stream continues so when I just can't make it to church, I can still be connected. Our small group had a great discussion last Wednesday on greater things, and we're looking forward to this week's discussion. Connection Point has been great for our family. We're so happy that our kids and grandchildren are active. My wife and I love seeing our grandchildren involved in Kids City and in high school groups. We're looking forward to greater things. So let's all be praying for Daryl as he goes through this next round of cancer treatment. That email from him was to me a reminder that not only are we reaching seven to 15,000 people on average per week, through our digital presence, but there are a lot of existing believers who physically can't make it to church. And because of you, 
Daryl is still connected to what we're doing here. And because of what we're going to do with greater things, there's going to be small groups like the one he described right here. There's going to be small groups all across the country where people are watching our messages and they're having groups in Seattle and in Chicago and in Phoenix. You know, I've met some families here who moved across Indianapolis for this church. They visited here and they experienced how loving our people is and how the Spirit of God is at work here. And they literally sold their house, moved to Brownsburg so they could be closer to this church. Here's what I'll tell you. I have a vivid vision. I have no doubt that as we follow God with this digital presence, there are going to be families sometimes who move across the country to be here. And there's going to be families where we get to export what's happening here to where they live and where they work God is using us. He's going to keep using us. Verse 12 says this, So two good things result from the ministry of giving. First, the needs of believers will be met, just like Daryl is experiencing. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. They'll say, because of you, and then they'll glorify God as a result. Some of you have heard about Josh. He's a barista at Starbucks. And I told you at the beginning of this series that I was pulling through the drive-thru and he said, hey, you're from Connection Point, right? And I said, yes, when do you attend? He said, I don't um, because he's legally blind and so he cannot drive. But he said, I watch your live stream every Sunday at 11.15. Well, guess what? We've been talking about Josh through this series. A whole bunch of you at Starbucks have been like, hey, are you Josh? <laughs> and you guys have been giving him good tips, so keep doing that. But guess what? Last Saturday night, Josh walked... To church and I got to get a picture with him here's Josh okay and you know what yeah I love this because Josh through technology he's encountering Jesus he's growing he's responding to God and I just feel like God just placed him in my path because we look at these numbers knowing that between seven and fifteen thousand people every week watch but we don't know all their faces and all their stories and it just so happened that as I'm going through the drive through at Starbucks that God's like, here's one, but there's 7,000 more, 15,000 some weeks. And, and as we invest in this, I just can't wait to see what God's going to do all across the country. We've mentioned with our vision of raising the strongest generation possible, we've showed you this success story from our church of this small group of kids who were in elementary here. And with the national trend of two out of three drifting away from Christianity, Connection Point, you're defying those odds. And here they are now as college students. And by God's grace, every one of them is taking the faith. And it's not just, I believe, because my parents did. It's their own faith. And they're walking in it. And they're stepping out in faith. And they're becoming leaders. And you know what? Right now, from birth to 12th grade, we have 2,000 more kids like this who are coming up right now in our church, who are growing up. And with greater things, what we're doing is we're saying we're going to continue investing more and more so that in a world that's rapidly changing, our young people know that their faith is intellectually sound. They know that it works for their identity, and they know how to defend it and be proud of what they believe, even if people misunderstand them or misjudge them. Well, verse 13 says this, As a result of your ministry... They will give glory to God. These people whose lives are changing will give glory to God for your generosity. God uses your generosity just like he uses seeds. Your generosity to them and to all believers, it will prove that you're obedient to the good news or to the gospel 
of Jesus. So today we're each asking God, God, what does this obedience of generosity look like for me? What does the next step in my generosity journey look like? And the answer's different for each of us, but I want you to really start thinking. You got that card on your seat when you came in and that Sharpie. What does the next step look like for me? I mentioned a couple weeks ago that we're all part of the committed core of some organization. If you give 10 or $15 a month to Netflix, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that means you're part of their committed core. And there are accountants at Netflix who add up all the millions of people who do that, and they say, we know we have this much in the budget because all these people are committed. Verizon and AT&T do the same thing. You're part of either their committed core or T-Mobile or Sprint. They know every month they're going to get a certain amount of money from you. And I encourage some of you who've been part of this church and God's working in your life, but you've never stepped out to say, I'm going to be part of the core. I've encouraged you to, at the very least, start by matching your Netflix payment or start by matching your cell phone payment or your car payment. Or if you're in a place where you can do that 10% tithe, but whatever your step is, take that step. Well, here's what's exciting to me. Of the early commitments that have come in, one-fourth of them, 111, have been these brand new people moving from the curious to the core. And here's what that looks like. I'll show you just one of these. I asked our accountants, I said, can you give me a sample of one of these people where the top number was a zero? And I want to encourage you, if that top number is a zero, what you expected to give, how exciting. You get to join these other 111 and say, I'm prioritizing God in my life. Now, the numbers are going to be different for everyone, but for this person, they said it was zero. Now it's going to be this much. You multiply that over two years, and it's this much. The numbers will be different for everyone. God's after the heart. And what this reflects is a heart that says, I'm in. I'm part of what God is doing. And that person, for their life, those are the seeds God has given them. If you're here, and right now that number would be a zero, I want to encourage you to join this person and the other 110 and say, what will that number be for me that says, I'm part of of the committed core now. Here's another example. For our regular givers, we've set a target that says if all of us who are giving consistently, if we can all raise by 50% at least, then we will hit this uh, big goal to do this whole Greater Things vision. Well, here's a person who says, I was giving 240 a year, and you know, a 50% increase for them would be 120, but they said, I'm gonna do a 100% increase so they added another 240, so it's 480 a year times two years. That's where that person is. Point is, the numbers are different for all of us, but every one of us has a step to take. Don't worry about someone else's step, but seek God and say, God, what's my step? Am I at least as committed to you as I am to Netflix or to my car or to my phone? God, will I step out and take you up on your word, which says, if I give generously from the heart, you will provide everything I need, and you'll even enrich me to enjoy what I have and experience joy in ways that I never imagined. Will you take a step to sow generously and be, quote, enriched in every way? Well, I've got to share with you one of the most inspirational stories, I believe, in history. It's one of my favorites. If I've told it to you before, I apologize. It's just one of my favorite stories. In World War II, very early on, Germany was advancing Nazi Germany. It looked like they were going to take over the world, literally. The United States did not want to get in the war because a lot of people remembered World War I. And FDR, as a leader, the president, he saw what was happening and where it was leading. 
And so he had this radio fireside chat. This was before television, where all Americans would listen to this radio broadcast from the president. And here's what he said. He said, guys, we have an incredible opportunity before us. Evil is advancing. We are part of what is good and right, but we all have to pool our resources and create the arsenal of democracy. He said, if we will retool all of our factories that are building cars and other things and use those to build tanks and planes, we can change the course of world history. Well, millions of Americans responded, but there were about four specific individuals who literally changed the course of history. One of those was a guy named Edsel Ford. He's Henry Ford's son. And Edsel Ford said, okay, as millions of Americans are saying, what can I do? He said, here's what I can do. I can take all my car factories and retool them to build airplanes and tanks. Not only that, but I'll work for $1 a year until the war ends because he was in a place that he could do that. Well, then the CEO of General Motors agreed to do the same thing. The CEO of Chrysler and Packard agreed to do the same thing. And as a result of those four leaders saying, I will go all in, and then the result of millions of Americans saying, I'll do what I can with what I have, factories that used to build cars turned into factories like this Chrysler factory building tanks. These tanks would then literally go and defeat evil and change the course of history. I mean, if those people had not gone all in, world history would be completely different. Nazi Germany would have prevailed. Because of their investment and sacrifice, we live in a free world. Here's a picture of the Willow Run factory that Henry Ford and Edsel Ford built to build these B-24 Liberator bomber airplanes, which literally changed the course of the war. The point of the story is this. If we will go all in we can positively change the course of world history for the 2,000 kids who are growing up here right now, for our neighbors in Brownsburg, for the baristas like Josh, for the people going through cancer treatment like Daryl, for the seven to 15,000 across the country who are journeying with us right now, we can change the course of history. And some of us, our gift will be like one of those line workers showing up and saying, you can count on me, Every month you can count on me. My one gift might not financially move the dial that much, but it's what I can do, and you can count on it. There's others of you in the room, and you're in a place like Edsel Ford was, where God has entrusted much more seeds to you. And you can decide, you know what? I'm going to change the course of history. I'm going to experience what God talked about. I'm going to step out and give sacrificially. Every one of us is here because there was someone before us who stepped out and obeyed God. Someone who sacrificed their time or their treasure to create the avenue through which we heard about Jesus and his life-changing power. They invested generously in God's work and that's why we're here. So as you finalize your commitment, I just want to encourage you toward that. You know, in Malachi 3, God's talking to his people and he says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough pretty much enough to provide for my work. And then he says, if you do this, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. And then Malachi 3.10 says this, I'll pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. And the point of the passage is this, throughout scripture it says, don't test God, don't test God, you don't, you know, don't poke the bear, okay? This is the one place where God says, test me. 
And God, he knows how, how scared we get with our finances. And he says, seek first my kingdom and just test me. See if I will not provide for you. See if I will not meet your needs if you seek me first. And for some of you, this step of generosity is a chance for you to test God very much like me and Mel did when I described being a young pastor of a small church and saying we're going to prioritize God. And I've, the ways I've seen him enrich our lives far beyond things money could buy. Verse 16 says, Then those who feared or revered the Lord, they spoke with each other. And the Lord listened. In other words, they had a moment where they each decided, what will we do? And here's my point. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him or who revered him. In other words, God, we look to you to meet our needs, not to our money. And those who always thought about his name. Now, today we're going to give you an opportunity to write your name and instead of a scroll, we've got these jars. Here's a close-up of them. If you walked in the main lobby, you might have seen the first few hundred of these that are on the wall, but you see these family names on these jars. And what we're going to do today is after you make your commitment, which is genuinely an act of worship between you and God, after you make that commitment, you grab one of these jars, and then with that same Sharpie that you write your commitment, you can write your family name, and later on your way out, you can put that on that commitment wall. All those jars are going to be up there. Here's a bigger shot of the wall. So there's the first few hundred. As you can see, there's room for you here. And they're going to be, yeah, there's a lot of room, okay? So, <laughs> so truly, if God's working in your heart, do step out. Otherwise, you know, it might look a little sparse. So, you know. These are going to be up for two years, and it'll be a, a testament. It'll be a reminder that you're part of what God's doing here, and it's because of you that he's changing lives. And this is truly my biggest goal as your brother, as a shepherd, as a leader for our movement, is that every one of us would take a step in our generosity journey. Your step is your own, but I want you to have a jar up here that symbolizes your heart being more invested in the kingdom of God than ever before and saying, God, I prioritize you and your work in my life. So right now, if you want to pull that card out and that Sharpie, we're going to give you about three minutes here to just have a moment with God. And I'll pray you into this moment. And then you're going to hear this hymn called Great is Thy Faithfulness, one of my favorite songs. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. He will provide everything you need as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let me pray for you right now. Father, Lord, as we grab these Sharpies, as we open these cards, there's a spiritual battle happening in the territory of each of our hearts. Lord, that enemy, that deceiver, who operates in the territory of fear and deception, he came to Adam and Eve and he said, you can't really trust God, take matters into your own hands. And right now, I know he would want to whisper that to so many of us. You're moving in our hearts, you're stirring us. You're stirring us to be part of what you're doing. You're stirring us to change lives. You're stirring us so that our hearts would be open to receive your joy and be enriched in every way. But Lord, the enemy would whisper to us, you can't trust him. You gotta look out for yourself. God, we thank you that in Jesus we have a perfect Adam and that we have the new nature in us and we can perfectly trust you. And even when our trust is imperfect, 
you will be perfect to us. And I just pray, Lord, would you give us faith? Your word says over and over, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Lord, everything we have, you already gave to us. We're just returning a little bit to you so that it can open our hearts and you can pour blessing into our hearts and lives. God, everything we think we own, any deed that has our name on it, we're actually just leasing it. None of us are gonna be here for more than 100 years and 100 years from now, someone else will think they own it and they'll be leasing it. And you're really the one who owns all the houses, all the lands, all the resources, all the stocks, all the retirement funds, you own it all. And you've entrusted to each of us various amounts. And so we return to you the first and the best, asking that with it you'd open our hearts and you'd bless the rest. Give us lives that are enriched in every way. Give us lives with the ability to enjoy what we already have. And right now, Lord, work in our hearts, pry them open gently but with powerful hands that each one of us would take a bold step forward as a regular giver increasing or as a new giver joining those 111 saying, I'm part of the core. I wanna be right at the beating heart of what God is doing in my lifetime. I don't wanna be a passerby or a spectator. I wanna get right in the middle of it. So Holy Spirit, lead us, give us boldness, give us faith as we write these numbers which reflect our heart and our commitment to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Take that time now, just you and God in that card. Don't worry about anyone else. Let our team sing these words over you as you connect with God now in this moment of worship.
Amen. He is so faithful. We want to give you now, just like we read about in Malachi 3, when those families came forward and said, our name is on the scroll. We want to give you that moment, and we want it to be a, a holy moment between you and God. Now, we prayed about how to do it for a room this size, and uh, we realized if we just kind of release people as a free-for-all with more than a thousand people in here, it could be a little chaotic, and the fire marshal would not be happy with me. Um, so why don't you guys stand together with me, and I'm going to give you very clear instructions on this moment. And, it, you know, if you're here and you don't yet know what your commitment is, or if you're in a place where you say, yeah, I'm, I'm not in, that's, that's all between you and God, okay? But we're going to ask you to kind of file along with the rest of us just so that we do this decently and in order. Um, and for the majority of us who are making a commitment, as you kind of walk up front, there's these commitment stations at the front of your section. If you're in the balcony, there's one in front of you. If you're watching in the point, there's one in front of you. And at the station, you'll see this big kind of cement altar thing where you can put your card in. If you've already made a commitment, um, you can still put in a duplicate card if you want and write duplicate, or you can write change if you're increasing it, or even if you know it's already in the system and you just want to touch it and, and pray as you go by. But then after you drop the card in, right next to it, you'll see this jar. And just grab one of those, or there may be a staff member there who hands one to you, but either way, just take that jar back to your seat. Okay, and the way we're going to do this is if you look at the person to your left, that's who you're going to follow, okay? So each section, our ushers will start at the front, and that row will go out to their left. They'll come up to the front. They'll come and make their commitment, and then they'll snake back around. And then all you got to do is just follow the person to your left. Trust us, we've thought it through, okay? And you know what I love about this? Our treasures are tied to our heart, and so are our bodies, aren't they? And this is just a physical way of saying, God, I'm stepping out. I'm prioritizing you in my life. I'm following you. So our worship team's gonna lead us in singing, we come to the altar. We come to the altar knowing that God gave us his first and best in Jesus. And it's because of that, that we're bringing him these gifts as an act of love and an act of worship. So look at the you know, person to your left, just follow them when the time comes and trust that this will all be done decently and in order as you just kind of follow the prompts, okay? Let's worship God and have a moment with him as we bring forward our commitment saying, God, you're number one in my life and I'm part of this movement in my generation. 